thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Today is what we often have called in the church Epiphany Sunday. And Christians around the world on Epiphany Sunday recall the story of the Magi. Now this word Epiphany refers to the idea of a manifestation or a coming that Christ is here and he's made known to all the world. In the Greek, this term means to show or to reveal something. And it's just in our language when we say, I have an epiphany. What we're really talking about is that we believe we received a revelation that is so great, so good, it's beyond us. It must have come from divine origin, from God. So that's where we get that phrase from. Someone says, I have an epiphany. Often they use it in TV commercials related to driving cars and things that don't work very well. So ignore that. But the idea of an epiphany really is that God has provided a a revelation, a special understanding of who he is. And of course, Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, that we would know him, that we would understand that. So for believers, we mark the beginning of the year with this epiphany, with this time where we dedicate and we celebrate that Jesus Christ has come to be our Lord and to be our Savior. And this is a time when we recognize God's place in our own lives. That's something that's good to do in the beginning of a new year. And We should begin this year, I think, with an attitude of worship and of thankfulness, and we're going to learn a little bit about that this morning in the story of the Magi, and we're going to learn that we should do this not just because of what God has given for us in a material sense, though we should certainly be thankful for that, but far more for the deeper things that come from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, the hope of heaven, the hope of renewed life here on earth. And we need that hope, we need that in our lives, because no matter how much we receive, no matter how much we get, we're still broken people. We're sinners, and we need something more. And if you're like me, even though you may know Jesus Christ, there's there's this feeling in your own brokenness and in your own sinfulness that there's just something missing. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that feeling might be even larger and even more profound, and I don't assume everyone here does, and that's okay. You're welcome here. We're glad you're here this morning. But this this something more, this something that's missing, I was thinking about this. Christmas Day, the kids were there, everyone was there. We had a great Christmas Day, and I felt like everything was perfect. It wasn't a mass, massive Christmas. It was plenty big. Trust me, they always are, you know. It was good. Everybody had a great time. There was this real sense of presence and family. And I sat there. The, the kids were all off visiting other loved ones, family, friends, whatever. They were just all busted out of there finally. And I finally said, you know what? I, I need to check my phone, make sure there's nothing going on. So I, I opened my email. And I, I kid you not, I had like 48 or 49 emails on Christmas Day. Not from you guys. God bless you. Thank you. I was on vacation. Thanks for that. Uh, no, no. That's, I mean, if you have an emergency, that's okay. But I, I, it was all advertisements. Did you not, did did you guys see, you probably got some of these. Didn't get anything that mattered this Christmas, or did you get any of these messages? We have Christmas that you didn't get, or we have what really mattered. Didn't get the right thing. Now, and if you see TV commercials, there's the the husband that buys his wife a snowblower instead of an SUV or something like that, And, and every guy saw that and thought for a moment, they took an inventory real quick, what did I get my wife this year? I didn't do that. You know, guys, they don't want to seal a meal. You guys know that, right? Okay, yeah, okay, good. If not, come see me after the service. We'll start 2020 off right. Uh, That's okay. But as I thought about this, when you don't know the hope of heaven, when you don't know Christmas, 
It can really be just a disappointment. If, if all Christmas was for people is what these commercials talk about, what these emails presented, Christmas might be a profound disappointment. And that was this strange but common theme in everything that I received in my email. And whether you're in Christ or whether you don't know Christ, there are times for all of us, and I think that advertisers and others pick up on this, there are times, even for us in Christ, when he's blessed us, that because we're still sinners, because we're still broken, because the world around us can be such a mess, we feel lost, we feel empty, we feel frustrated, we might even feel afraid. And maybe it's a deep and thundering emotion where everything just feels wrong, something terrible happens. Or maybe it's just a hundred little whispers that just seem out of focus or off the page of your life. And you just wonder, what's missing? What is there? And you may pray to God, I, I want my own epiphany, God. I want my own special understanding. And as we enter a new year and we think about starting over and getting things on track, that might be the question, what's missing? This is not in any way implying that we're ungrateful, that we're all messed up really bad, though as sinners we know it's often worse than we admit it is. But maybe, just maybe, you're coming into 2020 with less idea of what to do. You may be looking at the world around you, with, even with the things that have happened in our world in the last week, and you have more uncertainty than you'd like to have. There's just this kind of gnawing feeling. Perhaps last year was stress, loss, and pain. And looking back over that year made you wonder, God, I know you're out there, but what are you doing? What are you doing? So as we enter this new year and ask all these questions of our lives and of ourselves, I want to encourage you, these are good, good questions to ask. And God is at work, and he's big enough for us to bring, us, to bring these questions to him. He's the source of all of our answers. It's good that you're doing that. It's good that you're taking the God and we go to his word and we seek to find those. God is the source of that. So the theme that God has put on the hearts of our staff in our session for this year is the idea of being a servant. What does it mean to serve God in these uncertain times? The ones that create these feelings that I'm talking about. And throughout early 2020, we're going to look at this biblical call for all of us to be God's servants and we're also going to look at it from a spiritual and practical level. What gets in the way of that call? That's what we're going to talk about in the beginning of this year. Because when we ask about what's missing in life, what we usually find is something has wedged itself between us and God that shouldn't be there because nothing should be between us and God. They can be outright bad things that we know are sinful and wrong things, but believe it or not, they can sometimes be things that Practically, we may think these are good things. These are okay things. These are healthy things. But we know that in God's word, that biblical call is that God comes first. In our broken lives, sometimes we have to get back in stride with God. We have to get back with the basics. And that's why I recommend that spiritual health checkbook for you. I want you guys to grab that. And just do a diagnostic with yourself. Read through it. Do the questions. And say, God, what, what's in between me and you? Where am I putting you in my life? Where am I placing you? Are you at the front of the line? Later on, when we get into Lent, we're going to look at this idea of putting God first. And particularly, I think the worst thing in our age is this idea that gets between us and God, and this works with Lent very well, the idea of hurry. 
Hurry is the enemy of our spiritual vitality. And we're going to talk about that when we get into Lent. But now this morning, let's take a look at the basics of your call, my call to be a servant of Christ. And we're going to answer that question a little bit about what is missing in God's Word. I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. They're going to put this up on the screen for you guys. We're going to learn about the epiphany. If you want to follow along in the Bible in your seats, that's great. I encourage you to bring your own Bible. But if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab the one in the seat back in front of you, page 855 in there. Let's read together and learn about the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me, so I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's God's word. So the question today, the question today that we have to ask ourselves, who were the Magi? Who were these guys? I once was a youth pastor in the church. I was telling somebody this week, and a woman came up to me, and she was very confused. She wanted to know who the Mogwai were. Now, if you know who the Mogwai were, the Mogwai, you know, they're in stories, but the most recent reference to the Mogwai were the little animals that turned into the gremlins in the horror film from the 1980s. And I said, ma'am, I don't think you mean the Mogwai. I think you mean the Magi. And she said, well, them, whoever they were, who were they? They're one of those people, we don't even remember who they are, sometimes their names. We always sing songs about three kings, and we think that because there were three gifts given symbolically, those three gifts that were given. There may have been more than three of them. There was definitely a large caravan of them. And as they came into Jerusalem, we read in God's word that they made quite a stir. Why did they make quite a stir? Because these guys were ancient warriors and they were also scholars. They are mentioned historically in the lore of the Medo-Persians and the Chaldeans in history. And these folks knew the stories of Israel and the promise of Messiah and the, from the prophets, and particularly from Daniel. Because if you look in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11, you learn that Daniel, when he was in Babylon, they gave him a different name. They tried to change their culture, and they pressed him into the Babylonian culture. That was part of how they did things. And he was given the name Belshazzar. And he worked his way up and became the chief of Babylonia, uh, the Babylonian wise men, otherwise known as their magicians or their magi. So at one point, Daniel 
was the head of the Magi. He was the head of this group of people who were somewhat the mystical people of Babylon. Now, before you break out your Harry Potter cloaks or whatever and get all excited, don't. This is not to say that in any way, shape, or form, God's word tells us we should be involved in magic. That's not what it says. That's not what it's saying. The Bible says countless other places that what we call and understand magic to be is not something we should ever, ever, ever mess around with. Everybody good? Okay, good. We make sure we get that straight. Daniel in Scripture, much like Joseph and others in Scripture, are recognized for being spiritually gifted because they were being obedient to the one true God, and he, by his Spirit, gifted them with abilities like Joseph and Daniel, those who were able to interpret dreams. And dreams are always big in mystical cultures. God uses his people where they are in a way that he is providing for them spiritual insight. They're not magicians. They're just Christians that God is using. That's what God did in his word. Okay? So because they have this spiritual knowledge, they're seen as magical in these pagan cultures. So the Magi, though, because of that, had this understanding, this understanding from those that they had known like Daniel who followed the one true God. And although they are not Jews and they are not inside God's covenant at this point, God leads them and he reaches them through miraculous means and leads them by the star to find Christ. Now, God will reach people outside of faith in some strange ways, and we have to recognize that, but that doesn't mean he leaves them outside of that. He leads people into a proper understanding of who he is and what he's about according to his word. That's true of the Magi, where he leads them to Christ. That's true of what he does in our world today. I have missionaries that have told me amazing stories how God has worked in incredible ways to lead people to know him, but he doesn't leave them in some mystical, strange thing. He leads them into his word, okay? We got that. So that's what's happening in here. So don't pick up your 2020 astrology guide and say the pastor told you to do that or any of that baloney. That's not what he's saying. That's not what's going on. But these magi, they were mystical people, and they lived east of Palestine in an area called Parthia. And they were warriors, and they were also seen as scholars. They did study astrology and astronomy and things of that. They were seen, though, by other cultures as prominent and powerful people, and they were known as the kingmakers. That's what they were known as. Their prominence was recorded by historians, and there was an expectation in the time that Christ was born that a coming king would soon change everything. For example, Roman historian Suetonius, speaking around the time of Christ, wrote that there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. That's what Suetonius wrote down. So God's word shares this, but we find evidence in history that this was true. Another Roman historian, Tacticus, he wrote, there was a firm persuasion that at this time the East was going to grow powerful and rulers would come from Judea. Those who were going to acquire a universal empire, unquote. That's what Tacticus wrote. The Jewish historian Josephus, who works for Rome in his work, Jewish Wars, he says... At the time of Christ's birth, Jews believed that one from their own country would soon rise up and become established as ruler of the habitable earth. So these are extra-biblical historical accounts of what God's word confirms for us. Now at the same time, Virgil, the Roman poet, you may have read him at school at some point. He was 70 to 19 B.C., 70 before the 19 A.D., Virgil wrote that Rome expected that its own golden age had arisen with Augustus Caesar. Now, Caesar, of course, is Herod's benefactor. He's the guy that Herod answers to. 
in this passage. And many in the Roman world believed that Caesar was the savior of the world. You see how this sets us up for what happens at Easter. This was a common belief. These ideas from the East would spread farther west into the inhabited world. And so the Magi would be called in to the great cities west of them, including Athens and Rome, and they were consulted by Roman rulers often. That's why they had this reputation as kingmakers. Wise men from the East had long influenced the West with their ideas and their traditions. So when someone wanted to find out if they were going to have prominence, they wanted these guys on their platform in a political sense, so to speak. They wanted photo opportunities with these magi. You add into that among the common people this growing belief that somewhere in this area around Judea, a great and unprecedented world leader was about to arise. You understand what happens, why Herod's upset when this caravan of magi come into Jerusalem. He's very upset. He's very worried. So when they arrive, he scoops them up right away because he knows that they are the kingmakers and their presence heralds something new, something unexpected. But stop for a moment, though, and think about the Magi and look at what they say. We have seen his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. Now, these guys are big players on the world stage. I don't know if they'd have private jets or how they'd get around, probably not camels and today's world, maybe, I don't know. But when they arrive, everybody knows about it. But look what they say. Let it sink into you. We've come to worship them. These powerful emissaries that everyone sought out so that they would legitimize someone else's power. Everyone else wanted them. It's like the Matrix movies. They wanted to be the one. I want you to kind of, hey, you guys can put that rubber stamp on me. I'm the guy, right? I'm the leader you've been looking for. Come on in. Here, have something to eat. I'm glad to see you today. Everyone thought of them this way. Everyone thought of them. And yet, they come in, they come in and say, well, we're not just here because we were maybe looking around for somebody. They say, look, this cosmic event, this star has risen and led us. And the one you've been waiting for, all of you have been waiting for, he's here. He's here. The one you've been looking for, we've been looking for him too. In fact, we're here, we're here to worship him. Now that word worship, that word worship is very important here because the word we get in English from that is this idea. If you take the biblical word and put it into our English, Webster's Dictionary translates it as the word homage. It's not homage. Homage. To pay homage. There's a sports brand of clothes in Ohio code homage that makes lots of stuff for Ohio State or the Ohio State University, as I know you all love to call it. That's great. But... That's the idea of hailing, of giving glory and honor. But the word, the word homage actually means, the first definition in Webster's is a feudal ceremony by which a man acknowledges himself the vassal of a lord. Now, if you're not familiar with that term vassal, this is the idea of one who is a servant, one who is beneath another. This almost reminds us of what John the Baptist later says to Jesus. I'm not fit to even carry his shoes. But they come in 
to Herod, the king, and they say, the one's been born, the one that's king over the whole world has been born, and we're here to pay him homage. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be his servants. We're going to worship him because he's above anything and anyone else. And we're going to present ourselves as servants and pay him homage. When the lesser says to the greater, I'm your servant, you alone are the one who is worthy. So that's the reaction of these magi. They've seen the kings, they've traveled the world, they've had all the the tea parties and all the hobnobbing and everything else, and they say, you know what? None of that matters, because now that we've seen this, we know this one we've been waiting for, this one we've known about since the time of Daniel. He's here. And we've come to worship him. So when that caravan comes, Herod snatches them up and he hears this message and his reaction is very, very different. Now, think about the fact that Herod has the same historical and cultural knowledge. He, he knows who the wise men are, who the magi are. He, he knows what the world's talking about. He knows what all the historians are talking about that we've read. He knows all of that, but his reaction is the opposite. Herod thinks to himself, I know what's been missing from my life and I want you magi to give it to me. And even if you don't think I'm the one, maybe if I play my cards right, I can still get what I want. So what does Herod do? What does Herod do? He's upset. Now the Herods are known to be bloody rulers, and when the Herods get upset, heads roll in God's word. So all of Jerusalem is fearful with him. They know what's next. When dictators get mad, someone gets dead. Happens in our world today, sadly. So what happens? The Magi come in, they say, you know what? This one who comes, he's going to be a ruler and a shepherd. The Magi are looking for him, and Herod calls in the chief priests and scribes. We remember them from later on, and he says, what's this biblical promise? What are these guys talking about? So in Luke 2.6, we see Micah 5.2 quoted from the book of Micah. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Remember, Bethlehem was not a special place in today's world, in that world. But everyone knew the historical significance. Who was from Bethlehem? David. King David. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, shepherds, in the practical sense, were not well thought of. We talked about that at Christmas. But in the spiritual sense, everyone understood the idea of a, a shepherd. And the, the great king of Israel, David, was a shepherd. Everyone understood what that meant. And they understood the promises of Scripture that one would come in the house and the line of David. They understood all that. And they were waiting for it. They celebrated it. They were so excited for it. When Herod hears this, he knows. Eyes ah, from Bethlehem. So Magi, when exactly, I know you guys are like scientists, he butters them all up. When exactly did this star appear? You, tra you traveled a long way. How long did it take you to get here? Herod figures out how old the child could be. And what does he do? We know if you read further in scripture, he has all the boys under that age slaughtered and executed. It's amazing what human beings will do to innocent life for their own convenience or their own power or their own want. 
He murders all these children. Herod doesn't want to worship the king. He doesn't want to worship the ruler and shepherd. But it's interesting here in God's word, the symbols that God's word used, these things that draw our hearts in. A ruler is someone true with power and respect. You may not understand everything a ruler does, but you understand that they have the authority to do it. Shepherds have a different role. They have authority, but yet there's also a sense of responsibility exercise. A shepherd is responsible for his sheep, and he guides them. He protects them. He watches over them. And in a world where people like the Herods had been set up by Rome and were ruling over and conquering and hurting the people of Israel, the idea of a shepherd was very, very exciting to them. A ruler like David, who would defeat the other nations, that ruler that would rise up that they were waiting for, that would protect God's people. That's what they wanted. That's what they were waiting on. Now think about this for a minute. Herod and the Magi are from very different backgrounds. Both sought Jesus out. Neither of them knew at that point who he was. But they wanted to find him and they wanted to meet him. That was their goal. That's what they wanted to do. And they hoped and believed that finding Jesus would meet their needs or fulfill what was missing. And while they both were searching for Jesus, they had completely different hard attitudes. They wanted something very different. The Magi sought Christ to bow down and to pay him homage. Or in older translations, in some of the traditional songs, we would use the term here to prostrate themselves, which is to lay down on your stomach and get as low to the ground as you can get. To let the one you were worshiping know that there was no one higher than them. It's the ultimate sense of humility and recognition of who Christ was, that he was the king. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to come and bow their faces low and say, you're the one that's above everyone in everything else. And as they saw the star, their hearts were filled with expectation and thankfulness. They had a growing sense of completeness. We're going to finally do it. We're going to finally find this king. This is worth the trip, worth the effort, worth the struggle to go across the desert. We're going to find this guy. The Magi's hearts, you could say, were resting in hope and in a renewed sense of purpose. Because in their hearts, their purpose was to serve, to find, to worship this one true king that would be a ruler and be a shepherd. But Herod He had the opposite idea in his heart because he didn't want to serve anyone but himself. He was frantic. He was unsettled. And he created fear in those around him because of who he was. There was no satisfaction to be found and certainly no room to worship any other. Not even Caesar who who thought he was above him. There was no room. All the power was to his. Sure, there was Caesar and other people, but this was his piece of the pie. No one was going to take it away from him. So Herod, he does what he does. And the blood of innocence is on his hands. While the Magi's purpose was to worship and to serve the true king, Herod's purpose was for others to serve him. It's funny how our heart's intents can really change the relationships we have with other people around us. And how we'll use our position to get what we want. I call that the idea of the more. When you're thinking about what's missing in your life, you're always looking for the more. 
People are doing it whether they know they're doing it or not. You're always looking for the more. That's us. We're all dumb, dangerous sheep. It's the world around us. It's the world we saw in the news this week where bad things happen. Something horrible happens, someone else reacts to it, everybody says, was that the right thing? Was that the wrong thing? I don't know. But people get hurt. Whether it's in our families, whether it's nations pit against nations, whether it's in communities, whether it's in the workplace, at school, a careless thought, a careless word. Someone says, no, I'm not giving you an inch. This is mine. Yet those who seek God are called to live another way. Because the only thing that satisfies in the end, the only more that ever truly is more, is God above. So whatever else we try to stuff into our lives, whatever else we think is going to fill that hole that sin creates down inside of us, it's not going to do it. Herod is a perfect example of this. The more. Look at the words of Jeremiah here. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, the Magi certainly, even though they were outside of God's promises, we didn't even know all of God's word, just a little bit of it, but God reached out to them by his grace and drew them in and said, I'm going to take you so that you can bow down at the feet of this tiny child at this point who's the savior of the universe. But Herod, like all of us dumb sheep, he wasn't, he wasn't willing to accept that. He didn't, he didn't want that. And in his sin, he said, no, I'm going to kill this child. It's funny how this reflection is seen later at the cross, isn't it? With another ruler. In our hearts, we find that nothing but serving the true king can never satisfy us. Magi had power to wield and they gave it away. Herod had power to wield and yet whatever he got, it was never enough. The Magi risked their lives to seek the true king. Herod took the lives of others because he believed he was the only king that mattered. The Magi had peace. They had growing satisfaction. They had lessening fear. They saw God was leading them and they knew they were doing right even though they had not yet seen Jesus. Imagine how the Magi felt when they finally met him. Yet Herod was filled with dissatisfaction, with bitterness, and with growing fear. The Magi came ready to give great treasures away to others they didn't even know. Herod came to take life, the greatest treasure of all, from others he had never met. These kings, these Magi, sought to serve the one true king. Herod, who was a false king, sought to serve only himself. And the difference all came down to one thing, what they desired in the depths of their hearts. Fear versus faith. Surrender versus slaughter. Hurting others versus serving others. In this story, we see all of the gospel come to life. Christ later says in the parable of the lost sheep that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost as the Good shepherd. The Magi sought Christ and surrendered that they would be led by the good shepherd because they felt that Christ alone was worthy and they paid him. 
this honor, this worship, this respect, because he was above them. Christ was more. And they knew they were lost without him. And they gave him these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Representative of our own lives. Material wealth. Gold, we still know that. Frankincense. Incense was used in worship. We sang about that today. Worshiping God. Not just singing, but yes, corporate worship, but in your life and how you work and how you live and how you treat your spouse, your children, your grandchildren your neighbors, the strangers you meet, your classmates. And all that comes down to myrrh. Now myrrh was an embalming agent, strange gift to give a child. But remember, they knew what the Old Testament said. They knew what the prophets had said. They were aware. They knew that Christ had not just come to live, but to die. His life and death and resurrection would be what placed him as king of kings above all things, that he would be the fulfillment of all things because he alone was worthy. So the question today, friends, that I leave you with is this, what's missing in your life? Or to put it another way, where do you seek the more? Where you seek that more shows whatever is in your life that you are paying homage to. What you're serving. What you bow down and prostrate yourself to. And what you bow, and what you bow down to will affect your life. And it will affect the lives of others around you. Just ask Herod's neighbors. But if you know that God is more that you're called to be his servant, that you're going to seek God with all your heart and place him first. God's word promises us, just as we read in Jeremiah, that when we seek God with our hearts, we will find him. And when we find him, it will change how we live. And it will change how others experience God's grace through us. Even if we haven't yet met God, person to person. We know him in spirit. We knew him in truth. We're being led and guided by him. And we can change the lives of others and serve them because of that. Just ask the Magi. It all comes down to this. Someday this will all end. Revelation 21.3 reminds us of how this all ends. That in the end, God will return and he will make his dwelling place with all humanity and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And that's what we celebrate this Epiphany Sunday. The revelation that God has come near and he loves us so much. He wants to fulfill that hunger, that emptiness. He wants to be the more in our lives because God alone is more. And when we find him, when we know him, we cannot help but serve him and give him everything. So as we enter 2020, friends, what's missing in your life? And where are you seeking to find what is truly more? Let's pray. Father, that you would guide us, that we would belong more completely to you, that we would be your people this day, that we would know that one day all of this will end, that you will indeed return, and that you will change all things. You will renew them and redeem them.
God, that you alone are the one that has the power to change our lives and to renew them as we enter this year with hope and expectation that we would understand what it means to belong to you, that what it means to be your servants. Lord, be with us. Draw us in that we would know what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, to pay him homage, to worship him alone in spirit and truth, just as your word calls us to do. God, use us, change us, transform us today that we would be your covenant people, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.